Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. How many of you listening right now woke up and knew every interaction that was going to take place? I mean, you knew exactly who you were going to speak to, what they were going to say, how they were going to behave, how you were going to respond, everything. How many of you, the last time you got in your vehicle, knew exactly what was going to happen with respect to traffic? Did somebody cut you off? Was somebody speeding? Was somebody riding your taillights? How many of you knew exactly how you were going to react to everything that happened to you in the past 72 hours? How about the past three months? How many of you knew about COVID-19 and that was coming? How many of you knew about investments? What about a plane that was delayed in the last five years? The point I'm making here and why it's so critical that we understand this within respect to today's episode is that life is improvised. Everything we do, none of us can predict the future. Even if we get it lucky from time to time, nobody knows exactly everything that is going to go on. That's just not reality. And not only is it not reality in life, it's certainly not the reality in leadership or coaching. And we use the two synonymously here. And that's exactly what today's episode is about. Improv as leadership in coaching. Now, let's get some things straight. Typically, when I say the word improvisation, most people think, oh, like improv comedy. Or people might think of jazz and knowing the history of people like Miles Davis. Other people might also think hip-hop, freestyling, things like that. Well, as David Morris says, yes to all those. Sure, those are all examples of improv. But so is everything that you do on a daily basis and everything that I do. We never know fully what is going to happen to us. That's, that's what makes things interesting. Yet, an interesting thing occurs whenever we host our apprenticeship workshops, which are largely improv-based, and it's a large part of what my doctoral work is about. When I work with members of the military, they are all about it. They understand the value in improvising. They understand the value of communicating. They live it daily. Same in the medical community, same even in the corporate world. Hundreds of millions of dollars is spent in leadership training. Just in the U.S. alone, billions worldwide, and this will be the topic of a future episode, but a lot of this is is role-playing type training. Now, in the corporate world, we typically see, you know, trust falls, coal walking, all these kinds of radical examples. That, that's not improv, guys. That's just, you know, edutainment. But whether I'm talking to my friends in the medical community or folks in the military or anywhere else, I mean, even a friend of mine that's a lawyer, one of my closest friends, former, uh, he, he was in law school when I was a GA in strength and conditioning at Southern Illinois. You know, we talk about the fact that lawyers go through mock trials, but here's my point. When I talk to coaches, especially strength and conditioning coaches, the first time I brought up, hey, do you know what we do is really improv and we'd benefit from doing this? One of them said, and he's a good friend of mine, so you know it, it was in good faith. He said, well, the last thing I'd ever want to do is go to a workshop and play make-believe. And that hit me. I went home and I thought about it. But you know, when I was a fighter and when I've coached fighters, they shadow box. Uh, folks in the military, my brother-in-law, 
uh, was a Marine. They do war games. As I mentioned, my friend who's in the medical community, they do things such as, uh, you know, different situational things with surgeries. What if the power went out? What if we didn't have this tool? What if something got contaminated? We know phlebotomists practice on uh, a variety of different implements, whether it's dummies or obviously they've got to go through trials. Almost every profession has their own version of improvised practice, role-playing, situations where they've got to learn under constraints. You know, what do strength coaches do? Well, by and large, we coach day in and day out. They read books and, you know, they lift weights and, and they may go to some clinics where some practicals and everything else are done. But a lot of these things are systematized. We've craved systematization in everything we do. And the research has shown that that's a huge issue. It's a huge issue in coach development. It's a huge issue in leadership development. But before we go any farther, let's define improvisation. So we're on the same page here. Let's, let's make sure that we can align here. Now, this, this is taken from a 2013 article. Uh, there's a lot of different definitions of improvisation uh, out there in the literature. And this one is from Farnaz Tabi. And I apologize if I pronounce her last name incorrectly. We haven't had the pleasure of speaking. But I love this definition of improv. They talk about improv being the spont- it is spontaneous decision-making within boundaries based on available resources focused on solving problems, realizing opportunities, and discovering the future as it unfolds. In short, improvisation is the extemporaneous merger of planning and execution. Now, that quote is from Leon in a 2010 article. Now, the following are there for principles of improv, and I'm going to talk about some of mine and, and some of what we talk about as well, because I want you guys, whether you're coaches, leaders, teachers, educators, business owners, to start understanding what we mean by improv so that you can see it in your real life. Because the why, the what's in it for you guys, why you should keep listening is because the world we live in, as I just mentioned, is not one that is systematic, predictable. People don't just always behave in rational, knowable sequences. I talked about this in one of my earliest articles on my blog at brettbartholomew.net. It was the, the thought or the way of thinking that is gonna change coach development we need to embrace chaos because coaching in reality happens at the edge of chaos. We live in a world of, of chaos theory, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But the answer of how we approach those things, if we live in a world that is inherently chaotic, is we shouldn't be chasing certainty. We should embrace adaptability. And the only way you do that is leaning into the unknown. Leaning into the unknown means welcoming elements of improvisation, what other people give you, making something from nothing, having to put yourself in situations under constraints. Guys, my first book, Conscious Coaching, talks about it all the time. We talk about social agility. Well, in the strength and conditioning world, agility is a whole body movement. It's a task, right? Performed rapidly under constraints. It involves some kind of decision-making process. So, you know, whether you're in sports or not, you can appreciate you know, the 5105 or the short shuttle. Well, that's not agility. That's that's what we call change of direction. And there's even some argument of whether that's true change of direction, but there's a discernible beginning and end. We know what's going to happen. They don't have to make a decision. They know which way they got to go, where they need to cut, how they need to get through. The only decisions they really think about is how should I angle my body, what have you. But in another situation, if I make athletes change direction and then say I point or I give them a math problem and if, I, if the answer is an odd number, they've got to go left. If it's an even number, they've got to go right. If I create some kind of contextual uh, 
constraint around it, then that changes it. Well, we're talking about the same thing in real life. Let's say your flight got canceled. Well, now you have some constraints. If you go up to the ticket counter and there's 50 people behind you, you're angry, you got a screaming baby, you're probably going to communicate a little bit differently than if it's just you and maybe you're trying to get to Boise and, and uh, you know, you've had a great day, the person behind the counter's had a great day. There's more limited variables, right? You're not dealing with attitudinal issues of the other parties, other stakeholders, and this happens everywhere. I'm sure if you guys are creative, you can think of five different ways you've had to communicate under constraints. If not, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm worried because everybody's Zooming now. I mean, this idea that I should have to sell that leadership in life is about improv and communication after COVID-19 is crazy to me. It is. I mean, you should have seen it. When I talked to some members of the strength community, you would have thought I was telling them that all of a sudden lifting weights doesn't help. When I said, hey, coaching is about improv and communication. It's about, you know, you, you have to understand not only improv and communication, but also persuasion. Why? Well, improv, we've got to adapt to, to barriers and constraints. Communication, uh, shouldn't need to explain that. Communication happens verbally, non-verbally, paraverbally. And then influence, we've got to change, you know, people's behaviors and attitudes. But they didn't want to practice. You get to COVID-19, guess what? The constraints are forced upon us. Now we're meeting via Zoom. Now we're not able to do this. Now we're doing virtual clinics and conferences. Now people are having to figure out how many different ways they can lift their backpack, milk jugs, uh, dumbbells. But you ask them to do this at a workshop and they're scared. And that's a huge part of why people don't embrace chaos and fear. That's actually the biggest reason we know when people don't want to attend our workshop, our apprenticeship workshops, they're scared. And you don't have to dig far to figure out what they're scared of. Most people are scared of being exposed. We have compromised immunity, and I'm not being insensitive in drawing this parallel between what's going on. We have compromised immunity because so many people, leaders, coaches, educators, have gotten really good at operating in a vacuum. Team setting, guys, I'm pointing at you. And within that, I was pointing at a past version of myself. You get really good at understanding how to train athletes when you have your palatial facilities, your, your mid-thigh isopoles, your force place, your you know, everything. You have your staff of three to five people, highly educated, tons of experience. Uh, private facility owners, same thing. You've gotten in a routine, a rhythm. You have people that have been there a long time. You can organize and orchestrate things. Whatever. We all have people. I have a friend in academia who's talking about how some tenured professors are losing their mind because they don't want to embrace the technology necessary to go online. All of this is improv and we're scared. And you see it in the strength community as well, where 99% of coaches are fine giving lectures at conferences, but you ask them to do a practical. Uh, I mean, a good buddy of mine said that he had three coaches, high level coaches at the division one setting, pro setting that drop out of practicals because they'd rather just kind of get up and talk coach speak, where if they have to demonstrate movement or they have to kind of put their ideas out there, they get really nervous because if something doesn't seem bleeding or cutting edge, all of a sudden that could get back to their organization. And, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe that person's not as high level, right? We have this veil of authority because we operate in vacuums. And that's what's beautiful about chaos. It reminds us, or it should, that it is okay to fail. That is exactly how we designed our apprenticeships, a safe place to fail because the research showed, if you're, if you're just listening, we've had previous episodes that talk about out of 285 coach development workshops, and this is from a 2016 article, less than 6% focus on interpersonal skills or intra. 
People love to get up and lecture. They don't want to get up and lead in real time, not in front of strangers. They don't want to make a mistake. They don't want one of their peers to perceive them as less than. But don't you get it, guys? That is the virus that's going to get us in terms of how we coach. And again, save me the Twitter nonsense, the social media anger of, oh, we shouldn't be making parallels between weaknesses and the virus. People are dying. If that's how you're listening to that and you're not understanding the, the way I'm using metaphor to scaffold reasoning and show you parallels of immunity, then you're, you're not for this podcast. Nobody's making light of anything. We're talking about when you sterilize things, when you operate in a vacuum and you create excess boundaries, you reduce your risk of exposure, which in turn reduce your chances of adapting. So let's talk about some of the principles of improvising. One is spontaneity, right? When you look at uh, whether it's Second City Works or all these other places or just anything, I took a six-week uh, six, uh, improv class. I, you know, these are things that once I realized, oh my God, my, this is my job. My job is improvising. I wanted to, I didn't want to be in control. So I took a class and it was amazing the things and the parallels I saw. But one of the first things you're taught is, hey, say the first thing that occurs to you. Now, we're not talking about how to operate in your everyday life. We're talking about some basic principles. It's a good thing as you're trying to learn not to self-judge too much. There are so many of you listening right now that could have written your own book, had your own podcast, done this, done that, if you wanted to. Right? No, but not everybody needs to, nor should they, and, and that's not my point. My point is there are some of you listening that want to do something, but like me, you self-judge. I was supposed to release this podcast. I was supposed to record it, I mean, probably two months ago. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, there's so much I want to do. I want to go into the history of improv. I want to make sure and have all this literature. And then eventually, I was forced up against a constraint where I'm like, hey, we need to release this, and I'm just going to go. And it's good not to self-judge. Mistakes are opportunities for learning. But why do we say that and then we don't do it? Because we're scared. I mean, that's reality. We don't want to let ourselves fail. The other piece is say yes and. This is a classic thing. And Michael Lewis, the tremendous writer who, who uh, is known for the Undoing Project and Moneyball, talks about some of his, his closest friends, the people that he values most in his life are a yes and kind of people. It takes zero intelligence to shoot an idea down. But he's like, when I'm writing a new book, I can call them up and they always think, yeah, that's a great concept. And you could talk about how it leads into this and it does this. Guys, in, in strength and conditioning world, whether you're familiar with it or not, we come from a place of negativity. Like it's always, it's got to be research-based. If you don't throw all this research out there, it's, it's no, 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 no. Even if you do throw the research out there, well, then that research isn't good enough. Somebody else has better research. They look for all these reasons to tear things down. And that's a big reason why people don't adapt is everything's got to be perfect. And really, again, how much of it is just a play for control? When you say yes and, and we don't want to be around yes men or women, that's not what I'm saying, but you do want to be around and men and women, people that can take something and make it better. I know it's what we hire for in Art of Coaching. I don't want to tell somebody, by the way, quick shout out to Corey Van Wyk, the newest member of the Art of Coaching family, just started with us on, on May 16th. And an incredible person. So be on the lookout for him. He's our new community manager. But one thing I told Corey is, hey, this isn't one of those jobs where you come in and I tell you how to do everything. You're going to have a vision and a mission and we're going to have examples, but you're going to be expected to amplify, take those things farther within the principles. And that's a big part of improv as well. What you're looking at, and Pierre Bordeaux said this, is coaching is a form of regulated improv. So there's always boundaries, Improv doesn't mean you just kind of wheel and deal and 
you never worry about anything and you just kind of go on your own. There's always boundaries. And if you're looking for that exact quote, it's the coaching process is a form of regulated improvisation. We know we play many roles. We're guides, we're babysitters, sometimes we're psychiatrists. And we know that in order to be effective, leaders have to adapt their behavior to changing situations. So that requires a mindset of and, right? What can we do? We have this and we can make the most of it here. Uh, The other part is it's collaborative, guys. Improv is all about collaborating. It is. It's all about collaborating. And so is coaching. It's this give and take, a dyadic relationship. You actually have to Listen to what the other person says. I love that. uh, What is that Drake quote? And yeah, I'm quoting Drake. A wise man once said nothing at all. Um, But listening is the willingness to change. And that's true. You know, we talk about two ears, one mouth, this, that, and whatever. Yeah, sure. But, you know, more so, it's, it's not just about memory and recall. It's actually about taking what somebody gives you and thinking what you can do with it. Here's the other piece improv, just like life should be, should be about making somebody else look good. Don't show me how smart you are by showing me how dumb everybody else is. Show me how smart you are by showing me how smart everybody else is. We've talked about this on a previous episode of the podcast as well. Don't try to go 24 hours. We're looking at something and instead of thinking, oh, that is no value. This is dumb. They're wrong. Think what value might there be? What could we change? Guys, there was a time when the automobile industry fought seatbelts. Despite tens of thousands of people dying, seatbelts were not a thing. They did not want them. Uh, You know, they thought they were restrictive. They were restrictive of freedoms. I mean, there are so many things throughout history that now we know save lives and our common sense that we fought. We fought everything. Tell strength coaches communication matters. They fight it. Tell leaders they need to embrace uncertainty. They fight it. We fight the simplest things because the simplest things are hard to control. It goes against our intuition, which is this cognitive conclusion, right? Based on the decision maker's previous experience and emotional outputs. So we have to think about all these things and how it goes along with everybody's kind of perception of the internal and external environment. And a lot of this, again, comes from us wanting to fight this Uh, you know, new, complex, unstable world that we have. So, you know, getting more into this, where did improv come from? And again, we're not talking about improv theater. When we talk about improv, you have to recognize a woman named Viola Spolin. Now, she was called the high priestess of improvisational theater. Now, during the 1920s and 30s, Spolin worked as a social worker at a place called the Jane Adams Whole House. I had to slow that down because saying whole house is hard. Um, at least after a day, a morning full of coaching, the Jane Adams Whole House in Chicago. And her job was to help immigrant children better assimilate into new surroundings. So she created a number of easily grasped theatrical games. And we'll talk about the definition of games that were cross-cultural and, you know, really transcended ethnic barriers and gave kids hands-on experience at being able to behave collaboratively and empathetically. And so Spolin's son... Uh, Paul Sills was enamored with the games and started teaching them to his University of Chicago friends where, you know, their potential to develop material and entertain audiences was uncovered. Audiences went and watched this extemporaneous act where they could chime in and create the scene, just like we create the realities of our everyday life. And they started to learn how they could adjust and they could adapt it. So my point is, is again, trying to make sure people understand 
though it has roots uh, to some degree in theater, that's not, you know, where all this started taking place. It assimilation, helping, helping kids adapt. And when I talk about games, just to give you guys an idea, think of games as constraints. So again, to the coach, it was like, well, I'm not going to go play make believe in a bunch of games. You play games in life. Life has rules and games, a game, whether it's monopoly or filling out your tax forms, there are rules and you got to play the game. You know, you can bend the rules if you want in certain areas, doesn't tend to work out with people, but a game equals anything with rules and constraints. So in our apprenticeship, just to get certain people and to give you guys orientation, we have a whole episode on this, but our apprenticeship workshops are, are not there's nothing to do with strength and conditioning. They're all about communication, leadership, improvising, adapting. Our bigger goal with Art of Coaching has zero to do with strength and conditioning. We're trying to create this cross-cultural platform where everybody can learn how to become better leaders. So at our workshops where we play these games and we work on communication and leadership, we've had people from over 20 countries, 30 jobs. We've had FBI, HR department, uh, folks that work in HR, We've had people that, you know, run a performance massage company, people that run gyms, one gentleman that owns an organization that sells garage doors for um, large industrial companies. We have everybody there because we believe that kind of cross-cultural collaboration is huge. And we run them all over the world. But when we look at this, we always start with some easy games. And we're not going to get into what the games are in this episode. Again, there's plenty of information on artofcoaching.com backslash apprenticeship if you want to see it in action, but we have to do that to kind of get everybody to relax, open up. And then what we do is we take real case studies, scenarios, we collect them, hundreds of them from real people that have come to the events and others. And then we create rules and scenarios. So somebody might be at a budget meeting and they've got to convince three people of three different kinds of backgrounds, why this idea is good. Um, You may be working with four people and you've got to teach them how to perform a certain movement. And there's all kinds of constraints. You might have to pick up on certain tonalities. The lights are off in the room. You can't see their uh, nonverbal gestures and what have you. And you have to guess what they're doing. We've created situations where people are wearing earplugs and we see how that hampers communication and how gestures can overcome that. We've dissected jargon. We have an evaluative scale of seven points that we look at with communication and say, Hey, where does the breakdown occur And how can these things get better? How can we improve? But you look at the nature of it. That is what a game is. It's anything under rules and constraints. And you should pause right now and think of what are are games you have to play? What are rules you abide by in everyday life? You go to the airport, you have to get in this imaginary line and you have to go one by one and you have to go through a check-in process, what have you. Now you can improvise, you can get better luggage to make it more seamless you can uh, pay for clear memberships or TSA. No, they don't sponsor us. Uh, you, can, you can bend the rules. You can find ways to adapt, but you still got to play by the rules, just like athletes, right? So I think that's interesting when leaders or coaches say they don't want to play games, yet they coach athletes or individuals who play a game. Now, sometimes that game's life or death. I know during COVID-19, there have been members of the medical community who they've ran drills acting as if the power grid ran out or power went out what did they do? What did they do when they have all these patients and the power's out? How are they communicating? How are they adapting? Members of the military, I talked about that. They have to communicate, move, and shoot. They always have to look at those things. So I really want to challenge those of you that feel like you're too proud to do this. You also have to understand that improv is a process, not a product. And that's probably one of the main points I want to get across. 
like coaching, like life, like being a parent, like anything, it's a process, not a product. Why am I sensitive to this? Why do you sense intensity behind my voice? I am so tired of people going to workshops thinking that one sheet of paper with this framework or this drop-down list or if they can just get the slides, that that's the answer to all their questions. We want a product. Blame people like Frederick Winslow Taylor, if you want. Blame classic education that is based on rote memorization. Guys, the apprenticeships and improv is critical because it's experiential learning. It's that thing that you do in real time and the after effects, consequences, real or, or I'm sorry, positive or negative, stay with you. You learn. Who gets this book of life when they come in and says, hey, here's how you handle every situation. Guess what? Even if you go pick one up at Barnes and Noble and you give it to your teenager, your son or daughter, you think they're going to follow every rule? They're going to do everything perfectly? Quit looking for a product to do the work for you. That's the number one selling point that we tell people about the apprenticeship. Yes, selling point. If you have staff that needs to learn how to think instead of what to think, and they need to learn about communication skills in real time because they've got the technical knowledge or they show great promise, but God, they just can't adapt. They can't get out of their own way. They're nervous. That's what we do at Art of Coaching. That's what we do. We speed up that life process. It says, you're going to experience this. It is a process, and we can put you in this safe place to fail where you can practice communicating under constraints. Where else are you doing that in life without severe consequences? Now you can do it. And not only that, just like my son when he gets older, I'll get him in, you know, whether it's gymnastics or basketball or swimming because he can learn from all these activities, just like he can learn from going outside and playing and doing all these things. You can learn and get feedback from people in so many realms. And that's so much better than isolating it. It's so much better than if you're just in HR going to HR workshops, if you're just in strength and conditioning going to strength and conditioning conferences, if you're just in this. And I'm, listen, I'm not naive. We, we know that now that we're doing these apprenticeships, there's going to be people that copy and large organizations within our field are going to start doing more of this stuff and communication. Fine. Because that's the beauty of something that's a process. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. That's why there can be a million steak restaurants. That's why there can be a million burger joints. That's why there can be a million different pubs because you can't replicate certain experiences. You can't. You can't. So you've got to understand that life is improvised, right? Improvisation is a process, not a product. It is not a systematic way of thinking. It's just not. It's not. It's collaborative. You got to let yourself fail. You've got to listen. And again, you say if you're a leader, it's not about you, then you shouldn't be scared to fail, should you? You shouldn't be scared to go out and expose yourself to these things. That is such a huge key. Now, other definitions of improv, because we want to go deep here, uh, include the conception of action as it unfolds. This is from a 1999 article. The conception of action as it unfolds, drawing on available material, cognitive, effective, and social resources. So all these kinds of things, again, it all is all about the ability to efficiently generate something from nothing, new combinations of resources, routines. How many of you don't do that? Strength coaches, somebody can't squat, we got a regression. Somebody's squatting, it's too easy, we got a progression. We invent novel responses without a prescripted plan. And if you do have a prescripted plan, they still flex. And we embrace a variety of outcomes. 
That's huge. Now let's talk about some more roots. Early applications of improv often followed a jazz metaphor. Now, many of the earlier studies of contemporary cases, and again, this is based on Farnas Tabi and the great work she did and others, they talk about, you know, jazz was an effective blueprint for great performance. And the quote was, jazz improvisers are, improvisers are interested in creating new musical material. And I love music. Don't some of you, how many of you out there love music? Music is such a huge inspiration for me. And they surprise themselves. As a matter of fact, Miles Davis said he learned how, what notes to play by listening to the notes others weren't playing. And how jazz differs from classical music is that there's no clear prescription of what is to be played, according to Barrett in 1998. But the great misconception about jazz players is that they're these untutored geniuses who randomly just pick notes and music. And, you know, the art of jazz, just like the art of coaching, is very, very complex. And it's the result of a relentless pursuit of learning and disciplined imagination. And I think that's a really great term for those of you that are nervous about the idea of improv disciplined imagination. They're highly committed to self-awareness. The number one thing I think every leader needs to have. If, if there's one thing other than great communication, effective leaders are incredibly self-aware because they fail because they go into the dark and they're not scared of being criticized. It's that 48 year old strength coach who's worked in the NBA 20 years. Who's okay. Getting torn down by a 19 year old kid who doesn't know anything but knows that that person didn't come across uh, the way they wanted to in an activity. And he embraces it. He learns from everybody. It's that 23-year-old know-it-all in uh, a computer-related field who wants to listen to somebody else from a field that couldn't even begin to tell him anything about writing code, about how he should give better feedback, and specifically in accordance to these points. And then he goes up in front of the room and creates a game that's feedback-oriented and then we all analyze, videotape it, and learn in real time. That's what that's about. That's what that's about. It's not this lone genius. There's no lone geniuses in, in these things, guys. It's, it's the creative faculty. No man can give somebody the capacity to think, but you can change how they think through experience. You know what? I was going to go on there, but I want to end it there. Rewind that part if you want that again. I might need to rewind it. Let me know if you want more on this because I could go deep for days, but I want to keep this a quick hitter. So I want to talk about this. Remember, don't chase certainty. Embrace chaos. Improv is not comedy, but life is. The comedy portion comes from the observation of what happens when we try to attain control over certain things. That's what's funny. People that try to control everything just in the name of saving face. And if saving face or trying to appear perfect or indomitable at all times is what you're striving for, well, improv isn't comedy, but in that case, the joke's on you. Guys, this has been the Art of Coaching Podcast. I know this is a deep one. I uh, wanted it to be quicker, but we also always want to make sure that we, we give you something to chew on. Send this to somebody. Challenge their thought process. Think about areas in your life that are improv. Continue to grow, embrace chaos. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. I'm Brett Bartholomew. Thanks for listening. Hey, if I still have you here and this piqued your interest, be sure to join us at an apprenticeship. We do them all over the world. We are adapting to the COVID-19 situation. 
but we're going to do more on this. And we are going live regionally. Our next one is in Charleston, South Carolina in July. You can check out all dates at artofcoaching.com backslash apprenticeship. Again, these are for everybody, guys. These are for everybody. They're my pride and joy. It's a lot of fun. I dive in. It's very little PowerPoint other than to go over the science side of things and, and tee up some main points. We get involved, and you'd be surprised. Day one always hits you hard. But day two, as you start to loosen up and you realize that it's not so bad to fail and you get to know everybody else, the interaction becomes addictive. You're getting feedback in ways you never thought you would get it from people who all like you want to get better. There's no, There truly are no egos because everybody is exposed, including myself. That, that's what I love. No two apprenticeships are ever taught the same. It's literally a different experience every time. So we don't have to do a, a level one, a level two, a level this. It's always relative and adapted to the situations and issues people have. And there's sometimes even where I'll jump in on the exercises and sometimes I smash them and other times I fail miserably. Isn't that like life? So come prepare for it because it's the only place that you can prepare for some of life's biggest moments around an audience that's communally ready to grow with you. Again, artofcoaching.com backslash the apprenticeship. If that's too much, just go to artofcoaching.com, guys. Check out our live events. You'll find it. It's all over the place. And this is stuff that I haven't presented to any kind of audience anywhere. It is literally exclusive to the apprenticeship. We'd love to have you there. Thanks again for listening.